Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Are You Freaking Kidding Me podcast with me, Joe Vigiano. On this episode, we're going to talk about uh, college football once again, another week in the books. Um, obviously, uh, we're going to discuss in detail the uh, Ohio State-Penn State game, and then uh, we're also going to discuss uh, the Giants and their uh, game against the uh, Washington Commanders that just happened. And preview the uh, Jets versus Giants game that's going to occur on Sunday. So get ready for another episode of the Are You Freaking Kidding Me podcast. So let's get right to it. Uh, I'm going to talk, like I said, about the uh, Penn State-Ohio State game that uh, happened on Saturday. And as a uh, Penn State fan, I'm quite disappointed with the results. Because once again, James Franklin has found the way to come up small in the big games. I have never seen a coach just consistently run away from the identity of his offense as often as James Franklin does in the games against Ohio State and Michigan in particular. Uh, As you could probably guess, uh, Ohio State won the game if you uh, weren't paying attention on Saturday or at any point this weekend. Uh, So Ohio State beat Penn State 20-12. Uh, the game was a lot closer than the final score uh, really uh, reflects. But once again, Penn State just failed at uh, just doing anything offensively that uh, was their strength. So for those that uh, don't really follow Penn State football that much, um, they do uh, very well especially the last couple of years in uh, games that don't uh, include Ohio State or Michigan. And throughout James Franklin's time at Penn State, which is now 10 years, he's played Ohio State 10 times, and Ohio State has had the uh, better of that matchup nine times out of 10. He's faced Michigan nine times in his time at Penn State, and... Michigan has had uh, the upper hand in that matchup six times out of nine. Um, it's It all stems from the fact that James Franklin likes to think that he's the smartest guy in the room and his game plans against these teams, instead of going with what works best for his team and what works best for his offense in particular, he tries to out game plan the other coach problem is the other coach makes adjustments mid game that uh, James Franklin does not James Franklin is probably one of the most overrated coaches in the NCAA and I'm saying this as a Penn State fan I have not been a uh, really big fan of his he to me is the college version of Herm Edwards Herm Edwards would uh, motivate his guys, just like James Franklin does. He motivates his guys to play their best games. They play hard. They play hard for him consistently. Uh, You can't question the effort from anybody on the Penn State roster uh, for as long as James Franklin has been the coach of the team. So effort-wise, he gets the most out of his team. But a lot of the games that they lose... They lose because James Franklin does not know how to coach in these big games. 
He relies on having more talent than the other team. And when the talent is about even or maybe uh, surpassing the talent of the Penn State team, like Ohio State and Michigan generally do at this point, um, he comes up small. And this year was no different in terms of the Ohio State game. Ohio State and Penn State, to me, were two very evenly matched teams uh, that this game could have gone either way. Both teams came in riding strong defenses. Um, both teams had some serious questions in terms of uh, their offense against high-quality opponents. Um, but there there were a couple differences uh, between Penn State and Ohio State. Penn State... To me, was uh, the team that had the better offensive line. Ohio State had the better skill positions, at, at least at receiver and tight end. Uh, quarterback was a coin flip in my mind. Uh, that is not how this game played out, though, uh, in terms of the coin flip uh, at the quarterback position. Uh, Kyle McCord just completely outplayed Drew Aller, and it wasn't even close. Drew Aller played the worst game of his career, and... Most of that, I will give a lot of credit to Ohio State's defense. They got in his face. They put a lot of pressure on him. They made him rush throws, and he looked he looked uh, sloppy in the process. But there were plenty of times where he had time to throw, and he underthrew, overthrew, made a bad pass. You know, whatever it was, there, there were a lot of throws that he should have made that he couldn't make, that he didn't make, that he normally does make. And uh, that all, that cost Penn State dearly in this game for sure. But let's not put this all on Drew Aller. Uh, this is as much on offensive coordinator uh, Mike Yurchich and, uh, of course, as I mentioned before, James Franklin, uh, as it is on anybody else on the Penn State roster. Maybe more so than anybody else on the Penn State roster, I'll say. And I say it for this reason. You go into this game and you have two outstanding running backs in your backfield in Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. And those two guys got a total of 18 carries in this game where Drew Aller threw the ball 42 times. And I understand when Penn State fell behind 20 to 6 with about five, four or five minutes left in regulation, uh, Penn State had to throw the ball. That completely changes how you call, call uh, plays. That completely changes the balance that you would have uh, hoped to, achieve, to have achieved. But for three quarters of this game, the score was Ohio State 10. Penn State 6 after three quarters. That's what the score was. So it was a four-point game for most of the game. Four points or less for most of the game. And they did not utilize the running game at all. Not effectively anyway. And when they did run the ball, they either ran it on first down, which, guess what? Ohio State knew was coming because... They made adjustments to uh, the Penn State offense because Penn State was trying to run the ball on first down way too much in, in that sense. Uh, or on a third and medium or a third and short situation, Penn State would try to run the ball every time. And you could see it 
on TV, Ohio State was bringing a safety to the line of scrimmage. They were bringing extra guys into the box, basically begging Penn State to throw it on them to get a first down. And time and time again, there were times where Penn State ran it on three or four different third downs in a row right into the blitzing safety, right in, right into where Ohio State brought the extra man, and they ran themselves out of that drive. I was begging, I was begging for Penn State to run a traditional play-action pass in that sort of formation that Ohio State was bringing that safety into the box and throw it over the top. And they never did. They never took a shot. I don't know if... And they didn't really try to take a shot uh, in terms of a play-action pass in that sort of situation. Um... They certainly didn't try to take a shot down the field. And I don't know if that is so much on Drew Aller uh, just trying to be conservative with the football and, and checking it down to somebody that was maybe somewhat open or the fact that Penn State couldn't get any sort of separation on the uh, Ohio State cornerbacks who, let's, let's face it, Ohio State's defensive backs had a phenomenal, a phenomenal game. Um, but... Regardless of what it was, Penn State did not take a shot down the field to try to open up the running game. Uh, and when they were having success early in the game trying to run uh, in the football, they didn't stick with it. Um, there's no excuse for it. There's no excuse for running away from what got you six wins in the first place. It's like they coach scared. They coach not to lose this game. Instead of trying to win it. And trust me, there's a difference. When you come out too conservative, you just continue to shoot yourself in the foot. And, you you know, Penn State essentially let Ohio State dictate the pace of the game. If Penn State had any shot of winning this game, they had to dictate the pace. They did not dictate the pace. The defense played well. Penn State's defense played well. They gave up, they gave up a few drives. Um, obviously two of them resulting in touchdowns, uh, one of which was essentially a gift from the referees. And I'm not talking about, I'm not going to talk about the, uh, the hold that took a uh, Penn state touchdown back because, uh, it was a hold. I don't think it really would have had an impact on that play with the amount of pressure Penn state was getting on the court on that play. Uh, but you know, you break the rules, and, and that's what happens. It is what it is. Um, the next play, they, they throw a, the officials throw a flag on a pass interference. That was a little ticky-tack in my mind. Wouldn't have mattered because Marvin Harrison Jr. caught the pass anyway, uh, so they declined the penalty. And then the most egregious one uh, that they called was the uh, unnecessary roughness as a Penn State player was uh, completing a tackle as the referees were blowing the whistle. Uh, meanwhile, earlier in the game, referees had blown the whistle and an Ohio State player falls into the pile of players well after the whistle was blown, no flag called, and uh, play was allowed to continue. So 
I was a little ticked off about that, especially because of the fact of something like I just mentioned happening earlier in that game. Uh, but it set Ohio State up at the two-yard line where they punched it in with uh, a running play on the next play. Uh, the, the officiating there literally set up that touchdown for them. And, uh, you know, maybe they would have scored anyway. Who knows? Honestly, it anything was possible. But Penn State's defense came to play, and they played a very, very solid football game. Uh, the second touchdown that Ohio State scored was uh, late in the fourth quarter. And that one, too, probably should have uh, not been uh, allowed as well as a uh, the left tackle uh, got a little bit of a head start that uh, went uncalled. And then uh, once Marvin Harrison Jr. got into open space, caught the pass, uh, looked like there was a little bit of a block in the back by the uh, receiver on the defensive uh, back as he was blocking uh, for Harrison to essentially walk in with an easy score. Uh, but, again, I, I'm not sure if there was enough there to really complain about it. But, obviously, the first one, to me, there was a little, it was a little bit more egregious there. As far as the uh, the rest of the drives that Ohio State had, they they marched down the field a few more times. One of the times, Penn State uh, stopped them at the goal line. That could have given uh, Penn State momentum to uh, to change the uh, the complexion of the game. Obviously, they didn't. Uh, there was another opportunity that Penn State had to change the momentum of the game as they got uh, Penn uh, or they got Ohio State backed up on their own goal line. And then Ohio State's punter boots a 72-yard uh, punt uh, that should have been uh, caught about 25 yards uh, earlier, which would have given Penn State incredible field position and maybe given them a chance to uh, put some points on the board to uh, maybe take the lead, change uh, the momentum. But once again, uh, that didn't happen. So Ohio State gave Penn State opportunities to uh, seize the momentum of this game, and that's the difference between Ohio State and Penn State here. Whenever Penn State gave Ohio State an opportunity to take advantage and uh, seize control of the game, Ohio State did. Whenever Ohio State gave Penn State opportunities to seize momentum of the game, Penn State didn't. And as a result, Ohio State moves to 7 and 0, Penn State moves to 6 and 1, and James Franklin once again becomes uh another goat uh in this matchup. Not much more I can really say about this game. Now that wasn't the only big matchup this weekend. There were a few other big ones. Uh Tennessee Alabama in the SEC, that was a huge matchup. Uh, one that Alabama got the best of, a uh, 34-20 win. Uh, Tennessee got off to a big big start, a quick start. Uh, they jumped out to a 20-7 lead and then proceeded to uh, blow that lead as Alabama came back and won the game 34-20. Uh, in the ACC, Duke and uh, Florida State squared off against each other. Uh, that game was back and forth for about uh, two and a half quarters, and then exactly what I thought was going to happen uh, happened. Um, 
a new Duke was going to keep it close for as long as they possibly could, and then Florida State's depth was going to just uh, blow this game open, and uh, Florida State's depth blew the game open. Uh, Duke at one point had a 20-17 to lead, and that was in the third quarter, and then it was all Florida State after that. They uh, ended up winning that game 38-20. to uh, but the uh, the best matchup of, of the games that uh, was not uh, Penn State, Ohio State, uh, to me, was uh, USC versus Utah. And uh, once again, USC shows that uh, they cannot handle the bright lights and the uh, tough opponents as uh, Utah got the win. 34 to 32 final score and uh Caleb Williams once again shows that uh he probably won't uh win a back-to-back Heisman this year because uh one no offense to him but his defense is terrible and then two he's had opportunities now in back-to-back weeks to put up a Heisman moment and came up small when uh he needed to come up big it is what it is it happens but uh, not sold on USC still, and now they are uh, ranked 24th. Maybe uh, after this week, they'll be uh, out of the top 25 for good this year. Now, it's not every week that I can talk about a Giants victory, but uh, that's exactly what happened this weekend on uh, Sunday. The Giants uh, defeated the Washington Commanders in an ugly uh, score of 14-7. to But uh, if there's one thing I can say about the last two weeks for the Giants, it looks like their defense is finally starting to put it all together. And boy, do they need to uh, put it all together with the way the offense is not bailing them out at all. Uh, This is very much uh, the Giants' strength is the defense. But they need to get more out of their offense. Uh, It looked like they were going to put up some points in in this game as they jumped out to a 14-0 lead before halftime. But but, uh, the Giants didn't score a single point in the second half of this game, and the Giants' defense only gave up seven. Uh, They had a key stop as uh, Washington was driving down the field to potentially tie the game. Uh, they, they got a key stop there and was able to ice it after that. Um, just overall, the Giants need to be better, but uh, this is a step in the right direction. They got in the win column, uh, even if it was because the defense played out of their mind once again. But uh, that is something that the Giants will need to do from here on out is play good defense. And they have a perfect opportunity to do that uh, this Sunday against the Jets. I truly expect this game to be a defensive struggle as uh, both the Jets and the Giants uh, have been riding their defenses to uh, to better play lately. Uh, the Jets' defense, I would say, is a little bit better than the Giants. But the Giants' defense, if they can put it together like they have the last two weeks, uh, could certainly... Uh, be up to the challenge that uh, that the Jets uh, would present. Um, I think the Giants need to uh, do a little bit more offensively to have a shot at this. 
Uh, Saquon Barkley needs to have a huge game for the Giants to win this one. Uh, you know Brees Hall is uh, going to be uh, who the Jets rely on to win this game as well. Um, quarterback position really is going to depend on uh, who's starting for the Giants, whether it's Tyrod Taylor or, or Daniel Jones. Uh, that's going to depend on the health of Daniel Jones and whether or not the Giants want to risk uh, putting him out there. Uh, and then for the Jets, you know, uh, they got Zach Wilson, who is somebody that uh, is prone to making mistakes. And the Giants, the way they've been uh, bringing pressure to, to the quarterbacks the last couple of weeks, they could certainly uh, beat Zach Wilson into making some mistakes. Uh, I expect it to be a close matchup and a, and a lower, lower scoring game, uh, much like uh, the last couple of weeks have been for the Giants. Um, yeah, I'm expecting like a 17-14 final score here. As far as the key players to look for in this game, uh, I already mentioned Saquon Barkley and Brees Hall for uh, the, the Giants and the Jets. Uh, some other key players that uh, will have an impact in this game. Uh, Bobby O'Karake, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, Xavier McKinney, those, those are three guys I'm looking for on the Giants, obviously, on their defensive side of the ball. Um, I'm also looking at uh, Jalen Hyatt being an impact uh, player in this game for the Giants as well. Uh, as far as the Jets, it, you know, it all starts with uh, which Zach Wilson is going to come out to play. Uh, if he has a good game, then the Jets should win this one and... and uh, it should look uh, relatively easy, but you never know. He could have uh, the biggest impact in a negative way uh, in this game as well. Um, also, uh, big impact players for the Jets would be uh, the Williams brothers, as well as uh, if uh, Sauce Gardner is playing in this game, obviously he's going to have an impact. Uh Whitehead, I think Whitehead could uh, very well have an impact in this game as well. Um, you know, th those are the key players that I'm looking at. Uh, and then clearly Garrett, uh, Garrett Wilson for uh, the Jets, uh, the receiver, he is a huge piece of their offense. And, and if uh, Zach Wilson's going to have a good game, that means Garrett Wilson's going to have a good game as well. Well, that's going to do it for me here on this episode of the Are You Freaking Kidding Me podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode, which will likely be more uh, football, whether it's college or pro. Uh, I guess you'll just have to find out on the next episode.